The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show today. I'm Diane Ray. I'm so glad you could check in and be present with me. I'm surviving the storm apocalypse of, of San Diego here. It's pouring down rain. <laughs> so if there's, you know, a massive uh, landslide or something or mudslide, you know, you'll know why. But no, I'm going to be fine. I'm in the middle of the city here. So everything's great. And we actually really need the rain. And it kind of gives you that wintry, you know, comforting feeling. Maybe I'll whip up some chili or something. Yeah, like that'll happen. Anybody who knows me. So anyway, thinking about the end of the year and as things are rolling along, you know, it's kind of heading toward us at breakneck speed here, you know, um, this year is going to be over. So as those things happen, you know, a lot of us are thinking about change and transition, you know, as the new year approaches, as the holidays are here, what are we going to do? you know, making those resolutions. Researchers say that 60% of us make resolutions, only 8% are successful in achieving them. I mean, those are lousy odds. Come on. So as this year comes to a close, what are you trying to achieve? Are you thinking about maybe getting a new job, dropping a few pounds, making some life changes? Well, if you're in that mode, if you're thinking about it, definitely stick around for the next hour. My guest today is going to help us face the new year boldly And she's going to share ideas on how we can transform our lives. Lauren Mackler is a renowned coach, speaker, teacher, and author. And she's been helping people transform their lives for over 20 years. And she's been getting individuals, couples, corporations, and other groups out of their comfort zone and living boldly. And I got a chance to work with Lauren uh, when I was over at Hay House, and she's an amazing teacher. So I'm really happy that I was able to get her to join us today. Lauren's going to help us get focused with a clear vision on where we want to go. So make sure you check her out online at laurenmackler.com. And I'm really happy to have her here today. So thanks for being available, Lauren, and joining us. It's my pleasure, and it's wonderful to connect with you again. It's been a little while since we've I know, it's House. been a while. <laughs> Lots of change and transition, and uh, we're, we're Facebook pals, so I see a lot of your posts and things on social media and Facebook, and then we, we share a lot of similar views. <laughs> so yes, it's nice yes. to be able to, uh, to get you here and chat in person. So, Lauren, I've been spending some time with your book again, Revisiting Soulmate, Mastering the Art of Aloneness, and we're going to dig in a little bit to that, but also some of the other themes and things that you cover in the book. There's just so many things that you can help us with today. And it was really great to revisit this. This book is really a blueprint for anyone who wants to create change in their life and release the fear. And it was awesome to spend some time with it. So I wanted you to share a little bit of your story because you really came from, you know, the nitty gritty, right? Like you came to this work from personal experience and you really share your story and honest stories in the book about your life and some of the things that you've been through. So I was hoping you could start off and just talk a little bit about your own journey, your own journey to wholeness, because I, I think it's really interesting and you come from a really authentic place. 
Sure. Well, let me just clarify, since we're audio and people can't see the title, um, it may be a little confusing to hear Soulmate, Mastering the Art of Aloneness, because it's S-O-L-E-M-A-T-E, because most people immediately right. think it's S-O-U-L-M-A-T-E. So we had a little play on words in terms of, you know, aloneness, not as uh, something in terms of being alone. It's really, although this is a wonderful book for people who are living their lives alone. Um, the Mastering the Art of Aloneness is really about becoming whole and comfortable in your own skin and loving yourself from the inside out instead of looking you know, outside of yourself for fulfillment and wholeness and completeness and, and feeling better uh, about yourself. A lot of people don't know how to do relationship with themselves. There's so much focus on the other. And so that's really the premise of this book. It's really, whether you're in relationship or living your life alone, it's really designed for everybody. Um, the book came out of a workshop that I taught at Kripalu and some other places for 10 years. And that workshop emerged from my own personal experience, starting as a 14 year old runaway who had a very unhappy teenage years and, and not a great childhood. Um, and I went, I just ran. I was always running, trying to find outside of myself fulfillment, love, um, security, feeling good, self-esteem, worthiness, all that good stuff. And I started off pretty independent. I, As I said, I was 14 years old when I ran away from home and hitchhiked to Florida when I was 15 years old, 14 years old from uh, Boston to Key West, Florida. And um, I had this sort of independent, fearless spirit. And then somewhere along the line, my life conditioning took over and I did exactly what I was conditioned to do, which was marry a doctor like my mom had done and find a man to take care of me and protect me from the world and provide my security and my sense of self and all that stuff. And I got married at 23 and I started living my mother's life. And I woke up in my thirties and realized I was not happy and left my marriage and uh, came out of my marriage and surprisingly was absolutely panicked with fear, just panicked about being alone and um, couldn't figure out where that was coming from. And that set me off on a journey realizing that I had to figure out how to be on my own. And I was a single mom with two kids. And the divorce, as divorce is, was devastating and painful. And I came out of it after a four-year battle with no money, um, no self-esteem, a lot of fear, and no means to provide for myself and my children because I had been a therapist in my ex-husband's practice and had moved to his country. I had really set my life up completely based on his and complete dependence in every aspect. So when my marriage fell apart, my life as I knew it fell apart. And I came back to this country and had to start kind of at ground zero. And I tried to find a therapist to help me and I couldn't find the right person. So I said, well, I'm gonna put together a self-renewal program for myself and figure out what I need to do to recover and figure out how to build a new life for myself and my children. And I went back to school to get my American credentials and that self-renewal program became the underpinnings which later became the Soulmate book. And I worked this process that I kind of came up for my with myself and 
Um, then I started teaching it to other people, and I ran a workshop um, for people going through divorce and life transitions that wanted to or needed to learn how to be whole and strong and self-sufficient in themselves. And then I turned it into a weekend workshop and taught it for 10 years, and someone said, you really need to turn this into a book. So that's how it came about. Well, the material in the book, I mean, it's really deep. Like, I don't know if we'll even be able to to touch on everything um, I mean, I really recommend people reading it. I spent some time with it. Um, it's very experiential. You know, you take us through exercises. You really want people to get honest. And I think that's, you know, kind of the, the, the very first step, right? I mean, you really have to take an honest look at yourself and accept accountability for where you are, you know, what's happened in the past and then where you're going, you, you know, the steps you're going to take to go forward. I mean, isn't that difficult when you're working with people for them to really stop and, and take an honest look and accept, look, you know, there were two people in this relationship. You know, you're a factor in what happens in your life, right? And a lot of people don't really want to look at that. That's that's right. And I spent a couple of years in victim mode. And, um, and it wasn't until I really started to look at what my piece in the marriage to begin with was, why did I draw this person into my life? Why was I attracted to him? What was that all about? As well as the demise of the marriage. And that took me back into, and, and what's interesting, I was already a therapist and I hadn't really done my family of origin work, which is a big piece of, in, there's a whole chapter called Uncovering Your Conditioned Self, which is understanding the how you get to where you are today. That's really important. Because to be able to take accountability for your life and where you are um, and the stuff that is not really that easy to look at, you have to understand why you make the choices that you made, make and why you made the choices that you made in the past. And I am a very strong believer that most of the roots of the choices and the patterns and the habitual behavioral patterns that may have made a lot of sense as, as a kid growing up and no longer service as an adult, um, actually go across purposes in our adult lives. They're rooted in our early child you know, experiences, our early life conditioning. That's when we learn, those first seven years are when we learn how to think about ourselves in the world around us. And that template gets laid down by the age of seven. It doesn't, you know, we, we still can have other experiences that influence and shape us, but that early, those early experiences set us up for the whole rest of our lives. So it's it's not just looking at where we are and where we want to go, but it's understanding how we get to where we are, what's working about where we are, what's not working, and the stuff that's not working, really understanding what all that's about. Well, let's dig into that a little bit, because I love talking about this, this topic. I love family of origin stuff. I think it's so fascinating. And in, in the book, you, you really go into it in how we can see where we've where we've come from and uncovering those beliefs that a lot of times we don't even know we had, right? I, you know, oh, things right. that we've Because it's all learned. embedded subconscious. It's mm -hmm. all embedded in the It's not like we're walking around going, boy, am I unworthy? <laughs> you know, I mean, we right. wouldn't get out of bed if it was in the, con at the conscious realm. And it's so important to do this. And I think to do it, I mean, I, I've done a lot, a lot of this myself. You know, I looked back at my attitudes towards relationships and really looked at my parents' relationship and what I learned growing up and, you know, 
I grew up in a real, I call it emotionally constipated household, you know, <laughs> and, and when I read in your book, there were things that really rang true that I experienced as well. Like there was no, there was no hugging and n none of that. Um, I never heard my parents say they loved each other. I, mean, I don't know, you know, what they felt. I mean, I can only imagine what their relationship was. And, and being able to look back at that without blame, I think is really important but just being able to understand, you know, they were dealing with whatever they had to deal with, where that came from. We're talking about generation after generation. That's right. Um, so I, That's right. I think it's so interesting. Well, it is. And I could talk all day about it. it, it nothing yeah. fascinates <laughs> me more than human behavior and particularly family systems and, and just just systems dynamics, human systems dynamics in general, because it's more than just a family system. You know, every interpersonal relationship is a system, whether it's a couple, whether it's a team, you know, whether it's a company, organization, whatever it is. And systems dynamics are absolutely fascinating and how homeostasis and the natural inclination toward balance plays out in relationships without us even having any idea that this is going on. But you know, real healing can take place if you take a look at it. I mean, I, for years, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't communicate. I wouldn't look people in the eye and I would really have people kind of move their heads around to try to get me to look them in the face because I, in my twenties, you know, and younger and teenager, I would just avoid it. So I had a real issue with communication and telling people I'm sorry or how I felt and things like that. And then I realized you know, kind of taking a look at where, where that came from, I was able to peel back the layers and, you know, and really make some change. And I think real healing can take place once you, you look at that and look at those, those limiting beliefs and Can I hold in you on thought. that? Because you just brought up something really important, I think, Diane, where you talk sure. about the behavior, right? So the behavior was avoiding eye contact and just kind of avoidant behavior in terms of direct connection. And, and these are the kinds of behaviors that are all driven by limiting, what I call core limiting beliefs, right? And so, so do you have any idea, like what, what, what was the limiting belief that was the driver of that behavioral path? Because the behavior is how to cope with and how to respond to that belief, right? So what was the core belief that caused you to need to avoid or as a strategy, protective strategy to avoid people? Or avoid contact. I think maybe, I think maybe, you know, and it all probably goes, I was afraid of something, you know, what was the fear? And you go, the, the chapters on fear that you go into were really uh, enlightening for me, you know, and eye opening. So may, I, maybe it was just not, not speaking out, not, not feeling that I was strong enough to let my voice be heard. Right. Well, I'm not I, sure. I'll if you don't mind, I'll go. Either. No, you, let's, I'll, let's dig I'll, in. I'll be the guinea pig. Right, good, good, good. <laughs> um, willing participant. Um, I'd even go a little deeper and say that that is the fear, again, is symptomatic. The deeper thing, in, in, as an example, and I don't know because I don't know your, your history, Diane, but as an example for our listeners, because to help them connect the dots of how this, this stuff works, it could be something, it's probably something like I'm not good enough or I'm unworthy you know, um, or sure. if I show who I really am, I'll be rejected or I'll be judged. And, and again, these aren't conscious formulated thoughts that we're, that we're thinking. These are truths. These are conclusions that are embedded in our subconscious as you can think of as like a lens that's, that we're looking at like a telescope. And we think that's reality. And we're actually looking through a lens. It's like glued into our, onto our heads. And that's how we see the world. 
And what's interesting about this is these, these beliefs that live and are embedded in the subconscious, if for people that have not done personal development work and transformative work, they're just operating from what I call the conditioned self, who they learn to be, approximately 85% of every single thing that they do, that they say, every decision they make, every choice, every behavior is driven by the unconscious brain, the unconscious part of us. And only about 10 to 15% is driven by the conscious brain, which is, you know, to me, just an astounding fact. And most people have no idea that this is going on. Right. We're so asleep most of the time. So and, and I'm guilty too. You know, I've, I've done no, it. I mean, I've it, done it for know, years. Yeah. Well, I did too. And I was already a therapist and still very much asleep in a lot of ways, you know, until my divorce. And I, the, the analogy I use is, um, have you ever heard of the mole people that live underground in, in New York City? They live in the subway yes. system underneath right so if you can think about like you're walking up on the on the street and you have no idea there's this whole community there's all this activity going on beneath the street and you're just going on your merry way and you have no idea about this other world happening so it's kind of like that with the subconscious you know the the unconscious part i should say unconscious part that there's all this activity and and dominance happening but we we're not even aware of it so it's quite fascinating it is. And just when you start doing that work and really taking a look at at those things and those beliefs, it's it's really incredible. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, going through a divorce and and how that really rocked your world and, and kind of was the catalyst for change. I mean, I've thought about this a lot. You know, do you really think that you have to hit rock bottom before you push yourself up from the bottom of the pool to the surface? you know, for things to really change, because, you know, talking about being asleep and, you know, look at people around me and, you know, most of us are, are asleep. We're just kind of in our day-to-day mm-hmm. thing. And sometimes right. it really only will take that kind of earthquake to wake you up. For, I'd say for some people, not everybody, um, different people have a different tolerance level for what we'll call pain, right? And I, I put that in quotation marks, pain, you know, like emotional pain or or adversity or struggles in life or, and that might be you know, chronic conflict with people. It might be chronic depression. It might be you know working in a job that you hate for 20 years, whatever the pain might be. And, um, and some people, like I was always what I'll call a seeker. You know, I started when I was 18. I moved to California right after high school when I was 17 to pursue show business. And actually was in show business as my first career. And, um, and I, I always was very deep and looking, trying to understand life. And I, I joined my first consciousness raising group when I was 18. I did my first personal growth seminar when I was 23. So I always was kind of on the path to do a lot of different kinds of development things. But the problem is I didn't bump into the deeper, the family of origin work really going down to the deepest levels of the roots of my beingness in terms of how I operated and my what I call default operating system, how I think how I was thinking and behaving on autopilot, I call that the default operating system, until I started working with um, a therapist and doing the deeper family of origin work. Um, but and and it for me, it took my divorce to go into the deeper work. But some people just, you know, they're natural seekers and they they're on that path and they want to wake up. Some people are more spiritually attuned. And then you've got, you know, your stoic 
shut down, emotionally shut down, stoic, uh, living from the thinking function in the brain and not really connected to their heart and emotions, people that it takes a whack, you know, across the head to, to get them to start to wake up. Right. So I think it's different for different people. Um, but I think pain can be a wonderful catalyst for change. Yes, no, it absolutely can. I was reading Eric Clapton's biography not too long ago, and he cites family of origin work and finally working with a therapist and digging into what was really going on with him to his long-term sobriety. And he went, he went through hell, you know, it was just, and, and did what a lot of us do, cover it up with, with food, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex, or, or all of those things. Um, so yeah, I think it's really fascinating when you start to, to kind of dig in and, and see what's going on. And your book takes us on that journey, you know, you take people by the hand and, and walk them through with some really great exercises, and tools to get on that path and start, yeah, start I, doing I'm, that. I'm really about practical tools. And, um, you know, the way that I work with people, it, I, I blend psychotherapy and coaching in, in a process or a modality that I've created called Illumineering. And it blends those two things and um, and integrates the two. Because I found if you're just doing traditional therapy and especially just talk therapy, you know, you if you're lucky, if you have a family systems trained professional, because a lot of therapists, they I think there might be one class requirement in it, but they don't they're not really skilled in the family systems theory work. Um, if you're lucky, you know, maybe you do that work uh, with your with your therapist um, and you may have a very insightful understanding of, of where you've been and what shaped you and the challenges and all that kind of stuff. But it's missing the, the practical tools, which coaching offers. Right. But if you're just doing coaching without the psychology piece and understanding human behavior and human psychology and the drivers of our patterns and the and you know we have multiple parts right we might have the part that is really gung ho and really wants to achieve that goal you know you were talking about resolutions at the top of the show and really wants to complete those resolutions that you made and then you've got the parts that carry the unworthiness or I'm not deserving or um, I'm afraid I'm going to fail and so those parts are going to sabotage your ability to achieve your goals. And if you're just doing coaching without someone that's trained in the psychology piece. So I blended the two things and I'm all about practical tools because I it took me 20 years to figure that out. I was like the affirmation queen. I had affirmations all over my house and I was doing the visualizations. And, you know, unlike I mean, I know the secret was a huge, you know, huge hit. But to teach people that all you have to do is visualize it is, I think, very misleading and I spent 20 years doing that and nothing changed. And it wasn't until I realized I had to do new behaviors, take new actions to create new results and do it all over and over to habituate something new. And I found that produces a change. So that's why I wrote the book in that way. There's a chapter and then at the end of each chapter, there's an exercise. So you're actually applying what you're learning in real time to your own life. Right. You can't just dream about it without taking any kind of concrete action or steps. And, and you might need some help along the way. So like you said, getting a great coach or therapist is a really great step. Because I think if you if you start along along that path, and you're envisioning things, it doesn't happen, then you go into shame and blame mode, right? Like, 
oh, right. I failed, I can't do this, you know, and then you're kind of back where you started again. Exactly. It reinforces those conditioned parts that carry those limiting beliefs, right? It's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. We would love to have you join the conversation if you'd like to. Uh, we are live right now. <laughs> if you're spinning out there on the internet and the cosmos and you'd like to join us, 816-251-3555. I'm talking with Lauren Mackler about her amazing book, Soulmate, S-O-L-E-M-A-T-E. I'm glad you, you mentioned that and clarified it when we were talking because people might think we're just talking about relationships, which are, are also addressed in the book. They're a part of it, but it's really a complete look at kind of taking a look at your life, feeling comfortable and mastering, you know, not only being alone, but successfully being with other people, right? You know, I mean, hopefully that, that's the, the outcome. Absolutely. I mean, mastering, I have to tell you that if I had to do it over again, I the subtitle of this book would be Master the Art of Wholeness and Transform Your Life. But I was so attached to the idea of mastering, you know, the art of aloneness because I had done that workshop for 10 years and and it was such a, you know, it resonated with a lot of people. And, um, and the first person that said you got to turn their thing into a book said, I don't think there's anything like that out there. And so I was very attached to it, but it's a little misleading because people think it's just for singles, but it really is about becoming whole. And we are born whole. We all come into this world with glorious innate wholeness and it gets chipped away and it gets diminished and it gets eroded through our life conditioning so that by the time we grow up, we're no longer whole and we have what I call lost parts. And we tend to attract and look for other people that will compensate for our lost parts. And by the way, this is why opposites attract. And they give us that semblance of wholeness. And that's why we say, oh my God, you know, I've made, met my, my better half and we're soulmates. And oh my God, I feel so good when I'm with him or her. And, and it's wonderful in the beginning because there's that energy of that feeling of completeness because we are attracted to people that embody those parts in us that we no longer are really connected to. And the problem with that dynamic is, you know, fast forward a few months or a few years or a few decades later, and those parts that gave us excitement and juice and energy and attraction in the beginning, we come to disdain. And we get into what I call love battlefields because we are judging those very things about the person that we are attracted to to begin with because those are our lost parts. Right. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, I'd like but- to... No, it totally makes sense. And we're going to take a short break in a few seconds, but I would love to chat a little bit more about this. It's so interesting. And I'm glad that you called the book Soulmate, because I want to talk a little bit about that too, you know, being alone. And I mean, I've always loved to be alone. So (laughs) my problem was maybe the opposite. I'm talking with Lauren Mackler on unityonlineradio.org. We'll be back in just a minute. Stay close. Hi, I'm Reverend Linda Martella Witset with Silent Unity, reminding you that we are here for you during the holidays to support you with affirmative prayer and inspiration. From all of us at Silent Unity, we wish you a beautiful and blessed holiday season. Welcome back to Be Present, the Diane Ray Show. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining me after the break. Just having a great conversation here with Laura Mackler. She's an amazing coach and psychotherapist. And just revisiting her book, 
Um, she had published this, I guess it was uh, a couple of years ago when I was at Hay House, Soulmate, Master the Art of Aloneness and Transform Your Life. But just so many deep, rich insights in this book. I mean, if you're really looking to make some change and transition and you need someone to guide you by the hand, definitely pick this up. And it's S-O-L-E mate, <laughs> soulmate, not your S-O-U-L mate. Um, and you can check out Lauren online as well at laurenmackler.com. And Lauren, you do um, individual coaching by Skype. Is that right? And you still do Yeah, uh, I, for people groups? that are in my area, I still offer in person. Um, but the majority of my clients are in other locations. So I, I do those sessions via Skype. So before the break, we were talking about just kind of digging in and taking a look at family dysfunction, uncovering limiting beliefs, you know, looking at family of origin issues. And when you start doing this stuff, you know, doing this work can really bring up a lot of stuff, a lot of feelings and emotions. And people, when they start going down this path, might be tempted to say, oh, no, you know, that's too painful. <laughs> I can't do this. And then just kind of let the fear take over. And, and not walk through it. I mean, when you get to that point, how can you kind of continue on with the minimum of blame? You know, like we talked a little bit about being the victim and kind of blaming what, what's happened in the past. But when that fear comes up, what are ways to move past that? Well, th there's, a, there's a few things that come up in listening to what you just said. So one is that, first of all, um, a lot of people, especially people whose coping mechanism was to just shut off, you know, the emotional stuff and not really deal with it, not deal with trauma, not deal with whatever, you know, painful issues. And usually those people are more innately on the thinking side. Um, so if you look at Jung's personality traits model there, they have a, a people that are thinkers have an easier time. Uh, using that coping mechanism. They can kind of turn off the emotional faucet, if you will. And those people tend to be usually the most fearful about doing the family of origin work because it's, it's, it's so foreign to them. And the fantasy and the idea, um, the story that they're running about it is, is usually much worse than the actual work, the actual experience of it. Um, because, you know, we're great imagination, you know, we have great imaginations and we usually catastrophize things in a much bigger light when we have fear. Um, so that's one thing. I just want people to know it's usually not as bad as people are afraid that it's going to be like it's going to like destroy them. They're going to completely fall apart and they're not going to be able to function anymore. It's usually the people's fear. But with fear um, and there's a chapter in fear called managing fear so it doesn't manage you. It's, it's really looking at what is the story that you're telling yourself about it. Some people are more um, verbal, you know, in terms of auditory, and some people are more visual. And it may be a story you're telling yourself, uh, like self-talk, um, or what's the movie you're playing? Because some people just imagine it in, in terms of, like, visual. Um, they might see themselves falling apart. They can't function. Um, you know, they're going to lose their job. Um, or they're afraid they're going to, you know, they're going to feel a, a lot of pain. It's going to hurt. Um, it's like, what's the story you're running or the movie you're playing around the thing that is creating, you know, that you're having the fear reaction to, because fear is something that we create. We are having a thought or a story or something, and we are having a reaction to that. And even if something right. happens outside of us, we're having an interpretation of what that is. So 
Um, and then you do your reality check, you know, and say, okay, so that's what I'm imagining. Um, you know, uh, what, what's the likelihood of that actually happening? You know, have I, have I dealt with painful emotions ever in my life? Yes. Did it completely destroy me? No. Um, were there also positive aspects of my family? So it wasn't all horrible. Yeah. You know, every family has some positive stuff. Um, uh, you know, can I, can I, do I have supportive, loving people in my life that I can, I can look to, to, to provide support as I go through this process? Yes, I do. Um, you know, and, and really looking at what do I want to have happen? What are the pot, what are the positive aspects of doing this work? Well, I can get free of some patterns that really hinder me and diminish the quality of my life. And, um, and I am strong, stronger than I give myself credit for. And, and I can get through that. So you, it's really working with yourself and breaking it down to what am I afraid of? And then do the reality check and then look at, you know, what's the likelihood of that happening and, uh, and what do you want to have happen? Focusing on that and then, uh, reframing that telling, changing the story and changing the movie so that you have a different response. You will have a different response if you change the movie, reframe it, you know, rearticulate it and see yourself freer as a result of doing that work, seeing yourself not passing on the patterns of dysfunction to your children, for example, that's, you know, that's a nice vision. And that will change the fear response. And in the book, you do say that most of our fears are not based on current reality anyway. Like you said, we catastrophize everything, you know, and and I I tend to do that. It's important Mm -hmm. to know that they are rooted someplace real. They didn't, we weren't born usually, you know, with, with the kinds of fears that hold us back. We're not born with those things though. They come from someplace real. Um, Like, I'll give you an example. I had a client, uh, this is a guy many years ago now, and he was a, um, he was a young whippersnapper. He was pretty successful. He was a CEO of a company. I met him when he was, I think 36 and he wanted to make a change. And he had really thought about starting his own business, which, which was pretty, you know, frightening for him and a big step and everything he Had a family and all that to take care of. And, um, and one of the things that when we were doing the family of origin analysis, which I do with every client, Um, we were talking about um, limiting beliefs and some of his fears. And he said that every time he has to talk in front of a group, he is absolutely gripped with fear, paralyzed by fear. And he said he could not understand where it came from. He never could figure it out. And when we did the family of origin analysis, we, we, we got, we, we traced the root of it, which was when he was a, a child, his parents used to have these fancy dinner parties and they would, cart him out and they plump him down in front of the piano and they'd make him play for the guests. And he, um, he made a mistake like early on when he did this, he made a mistake and everybody laughed and he felt so humiliated and so shamed. And, and, and it was just a horrible experience for him. And so he associates sort of being in front of a group with humiliation, putting himself out there in front of a group with humiliation. Um, And so, and it doesn't even have to be something that's, that's repetitive. It can be a one-time event that was so powerful that it's, we, we have it embedded. My dog is whining. I I made a deal with her. (laughs) She was going to be really good during this interview, but it's it's her dinner time. So she's trying to figure things out. Um, So, 
Um, lost my train of thought here, looking at her. Um, anyway, so <laughs> no, we we're we we're talking about about mani managing fear and how they're how they're not based in reality, right? Or, right, or where right, they come from. Right. Yeah, so they come that's from funny experiences, and and there's a warehouse in the brain, um, in the subconscious part of the brain. There's a warehouse that stores um, significant memory, and they're not all bad. Or you know, it can also be a pleasant. Like every time I walk by a freshly cut grass, you know, lawn, I I just am flooded with all this beautiful memory from my childhood of the first day of summer vacation. Like I associate with that. So it's it's the positives as well as the negatives and the tra and the traumatic memories. And we then associate certain things in the here and now. I call this going into a trance state where we're responding in the here and now based on an old reality or an old experience. And we're responding as if it's in the here and now and it's not appropriate to the current situation. Isn't that amazing how that kind of thing is, they call it cell memory. You know, it's held in our bodies and how some people can have a real physical reaction or a panic attack or something like that yes. for what they think is no reason. And That's then they get, they're triggered by something and then you're kind of immediately brought back to, to that place. That's, that's right. And it can, and it can be uh, the, the story or the movie that they're playing in their head that they're having the physiological reaction to. It's not, you know, it's, it's really, it isn't, it's amazing. It is. I was saying, I think it's funny. You got your dog in the background and I have a cat meowing for the same reason on the other side of my door here. So we'll just, we'll have to <laughs> ignore the pets, you know, uh, live radio folks, these kind of things. Yeah. happen. Well, she um, gave up and went into her bed and now she's, you know, she's just looking at me. So hopefully she'll give, hold out for given, the rest of the show. Yeah. Giving you the stink eye until you get up, get up and feed her. Exactly. But yeah, I think it's, it is interesting when you, um, you know, dig into, whether that fear is real or not. Like I, I have a friend and I, and I wanted to touch a little bit more on change too and, and transition because I just see, you know, in, in some of my good friends, one in particular where she stays in a job that she's just not really happy with. It's okay. You know, it's just kind of a mick job, I call it, not really a passion. And when I ask her why she doesn't explore anything else, you know, she's like, well, I'm not good at anything else. Like she really has a fear of, you know, reaching out or trying something new, and she'd rather stay with with the devil, you know, mm -hmm, than, mm -hmm. you know, try something else. And on top of the fear, she really doesn't see, she goes, well, I don't have any skill, I don't have any unique quality. And I go, really, I said, you're the most anal person I know, you'd be like the best executive assistant, or something like that. I mean, a real attention to detail, you know, scheduling, that kind of thing, she would be great at. That's something I'm, I mean, I had to force myself to be organized. It, it doesn't come naturally, you know, and I yeah. think that she has a gift, but people don't see those things as gifts. Like they think it has to be something big, like, oh, I have to be a fabulous musician or artist or, or something like that. But there are real tangible skills that, that people can uncover. So I thought that the exercise on you know, identifying your passions and really taking a look at, at what you're good at rather than what you're not, you know, and, and what you maybe that about. can help you, uh, yeah, kind of overcome those fears if you realize your, your goodness. Yeah. You know, when you just, when you talk about your friend, I was kind of tuning into her and I, I think it was a her, was it a her? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and what you described in term, in terms of staying in a job that's not very satisfying, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the comfort zone. 
Um, that particular pattern, usually it's people that have a fear of failure. Um, they keep the bar low, which keeps the, you know, the uh, risk of failure low. And they, and what's underneath that is, is unworthiness and feeling undeserving, unworthiness or not good enough. And, and then the other tip off is when she says to you, I don't have any skills, you know, she needs to do some, I think she needs to do some uh, personal growth work. She needs to do some work on herself because she's not going to be able to, to go for that new job and see the skills until she deals with understanding her own unworthiness and low self-esteem, you know, and, and really work doing the work to reclaim that self-esteem and sense of worthiness so that she can then open the door to even see a possibility of something more for her. It's so scary. And I feel so bad because isn't it just when you think of what could, what you could be and then what you, what ends up happening, it, it just seems like such a waste. It's you know, really, like you're, you're wasting tragic. your gifts. And, you know, I, I work with people, you know, every day and, and one of my gifts is somehow, I don't know how I do this, but I can see right through the condition self. I see who they really are. I get who they are pretty fast. And I see their potential and I see their, their gifts and their magnificence. And, and to, to have those people be operating under the misrepresentation of, you know, of who they think they are and their sense of self and their sense of self-image, it's really sad. It's really sad. And I do this um, presentation called Living Fearlessly a lot um, around here. And um, and one of the things I do at the beginning of the of the presentation is I if it's a small enough group, if it's a really large group, I, I don't have the luxury of doing this, but um, is I have people come up and introduce themselves. And I have them come up in, in front of like at the stage and just real quick what your name is, where they come from and what they do in the world. And um, and oftentimes you'll see somebody who is very composed and they speak really well and you'd have no idea. And then they finish and they say, I'm shaking like a leaf. I'm so scared, you know? And, and I say to them, wow, that's really interesting because we had no idea from the outside looking from the outside. And, and it's such a misrepresentation of like our internal reality with who we really are, you know, and it is sad. And so I love doing this work because what I really do at the bottom line, and I do it in a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, I, I have a private practice. I teach, I write, I, you know, I uh, do workshops, I do different things, but really what I do is help people liberate who they're born to be and cut through the patterns of the conditioned self and, and really liberate and more fully express who they are in the world. And that is very fulfilling because it's just sad when we are living much smaller than who we really are, you know, or operating it, under under unreal premises in terms of what's not even true about us. Right. And for years, people will just kind of go through life, you know, unconscious, asleep, not really realizing, you know, one of the things that they talk about in unity is the divine presence within all of us. Right. And we we just kind of cover that up and and that keeps us from so much too like i'm a big believer in signs from the universe and wake up calls and i really try to tune into that like what am i supposed to hear right now i'm listening you know what's the message and mm -hmm. i try to get quiet you know and do um 
you know, a little meditation time or meditation walk and that kind of thing. But, and I get signs all the time. And so often I see people ignore them, you know, Hey, tap, tap on the shoulder. Look, you're, you're experiencing this, this sickness because, um, you know, I mean, do you see that? Like people are missing oh, yeah. these messages. Or, or two complete strangers who don't know each other tell you the exact same thing. Oh, you should call so-and-so or, Hey, have you heard of blah, blah, blah. And, and the person doesn't have the wit to check it out. Two different people told them, you know, and, um, uh, remember the book, um, Celestine Prophecy? Oh yeah. By James Redfield. James Redfield. Yes. <laughs> I, I love and, and that is exactly that. Like it's, 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 I love what I loved most about that book was the idea that you're paying attention. It's like this, it's, it's like this constant treasure hunt of clues that are showing up in your life to guide you along your way and living that way. And I remember reading that book and that was a wake up call in terms of that tool, that awareness of that. And I remember reading this and being so excited and paying attention to my life in a different way than I ever, ever had before. And that's exactly what you just described is that process of paying attention. But when you're asleep and you're not being mindful and you're not being conscious and you're on autopilot, you miss the clues. And I really think that the universe wants us to succeed and we live in an abundant world. I mean, I know that sounds Pollyanna, but I mean, I, I really want to believe that that's true. And I think that if we ignore those signs, th those are nudges like, look, you, you can be doing this. You know, I'm, try I'm trying to get your attention. And I, I think it's just sad that most of us are are wrapped up in our own thing or our, that, our that's hatred. Exactly, and... That's exactly right. We're preoccupied. We're out of balance with ourselves. And so we're, we're busy allocating our precious life energy to managing pain, to avoiding rejection, to, you know, uh, trying to avoid financial destitution, whatever our fears are, or, you know, uh, protecting ourselves from getting hurt or failing or pursuing achievement to compensate for those, you know, those parts of us that are, are not full on their own. And I think we are, we're so distracted. And of course, you know, addiction is, you talked the, about that earlier in the show, the different forms of addiction, um, you know, that takes up, that consumes our precious life energy too. And so we're not really available um, to paying attention and allocating our energy to listening and getting those messages and then acting on them. Right. And it is, it's, it's such a huge problem. You know, I mean, I'm sure out on the East coast where you are, especially here in Southern California, you know, we have a huge homelessness, homelessness, you know, issue, you know, even just in, in my neighborhood here, you know, addiction and mental illness plays a big part in that. Yeah. Um, you know, but, you know, but sadly, I mean, with, with the addiction, you know, people just covering up, you know, pouring alcohol or, or whatever, you know, over that pain. That's right. It's just a, you know, it's a temporary bandaid and that's it. It it's, is. And it creates, gonna... it creates, uh, you know, other issues, right? So it's, it's now it's, it's confounding the situation where it's not only causing them to not be present and not be available and, and, and have their, their precious life energy allocated and consumed elsewhere. But now, you know, with, with chronic uh, drinking, for example, and then you start getting um, health issues, um, you know, you lose, you lose your job, you lose your family, you know, you end up homeless on the street, a lot of, a lot of those folks. And 
Um, or, you know, other kinds of addiction, you know, shopping addiction, then people, you know, now they're in deep debt, you know, and that causes. So addiction is, you know, it, it creates, it's not just the covering of the pain and missing the opportunities to grow and be more fully ourselves, but it's also then creates all these new issues, right? Right. Just behaviors that we do to try to make ourselves feel better for, you know, a a small amount of time, a short amount of time. I mean, I think, what do you think about, you know, shoot for contentment? I mean, <laughs> you know, like you try to tell people, well, you know, you want to be happy and, and we're looking for happiness. I mean, does that seem like too lofty a goal? Well, I think it's, I think it's for me, how I define happiness or contentment, like the, the, the word and the concept I use, which makes so much sense to me anyway, is balance. It's about being in balance with who we really are, with our authentic self. And when we're in balance, um, you know, it's it's more than just contentment or happiness. It's like we're healthy, we're calm, we're present, where um, life flows in a different way because we're 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 cooperating with ourselves rather than working against ourselves. You know, we're taking care of our needs. Uh, we have healthy balance in terms of our work life, our relationships, um, you know, how we eat, how we live um, with self care and all those kinds of things. Like to me, that's what happiness is. It's really about balance. And I think that being out of balance and not living, you know, you know, in accordance with who we really are, is what creates the imbalance, right? When we're living from right. who we learn to be versus who we're born to be, we are out of balance. And it's about the the approach, for me anyway, what makes sense to me is coming back into balance, which is reclaiming those parts of our innate wholeness. Uh, it might be the part that feels uh, that we can do anything we put our mind to. It might be the part that is trusting it might be the part that is able to be vulnerable and let love in it might be the part that feels competent and capable um it might be the part that is resilient it might be the part that is you know playful whatever those you know those particular lost parts are it's bringing those parts doing the work to reclaim those parts to bring them back into the fold it's like developing a muscle right developing those muscles that we lost and coming back into a state of wholeness, which changes everything. Right. I love that. I love that explanation, like the Buddhists call it. I think it's the middle way, you know, to achieve balance. And and that's so true. And I think also, like, I, I've just noticed in reading your book and the story you share that you kind of, what's the word? Equanimity. Like having that, which I guess is a fancy word for balance, right? SAT mm -hmm. word. Um, you know, but having that, having that balance in, being able to accept what, what life throws at you, making adjustments. I mean, like like you said, you went to L.A., you, you sang in Tuxedo Junction and thought you were, you wanted to be a singer, and now you're working with people, helping them change their lives. You know, that I'm sure that wasn't what you started out to be. Well, so it, uh, it's I interesting. left show business at 23 because when I did my first personal growth seminar, I realized I entered show business for all the wrong reasons, which, by the way, <laughs> I may get a little flack for saying this on air, but I'll say it anyway. Um, I think most people that go into the entertainment field 
are people that very often have similar stories as mine, and they're going into that for some of the similar reasons, which is to compensate for, you know, lack of homeless. And for me, um, it was all about attention because I was I was just so hungry for it in in from the environment that I had grown up in. And it was a way to feel special and it was a way to feel a sense of self-worth was to sing, you know, and blow people away because I was a good singer and, and do a good job and 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 be special, you know. And when I realized that I was, wow, that's not really what I want to do. And when I watched the facilitator at that workshop, I said, that's really what I'd like to be doing. And my training in, in show business actually served me really well because I do a lot of media work. And I'm on stage a lot talking and teaching and presenting. So it was really good that I had that background and that training. And I find that usually in, in, when I'm working with people, especially I have um, different kinds of coaching programs. And one of them is for is uh, career coaching, which is helping people find the work they're born to do. And I find that oftentimes wherever they've been, it somehow is part of the story of where they're going professionally. Even if it, they can't understand the relevance, usually there is a relevance. And right. I also find well, that our life experiences and traumas and adversities and all that also very often is a setup for the work that we're born to do. Well, I'm so glad you're doing the work that you're doing in the world. And we have just a minute, so I just wanted to jump in. Um, so that we don't get cut off here and throw out your website. So it's laurenmackler.com if people want to get in touch with you and work with you, which I highly recommend that they do. It could be very transformative and life-changing. And I hope you'll come back and, and chat with me again and, and visit us again here on, on Unity Online Radio. I'd love to, Diana. It's been a joy to reconnect with you. Thank you so much for having me today. And thanks for listening, everyone. I appreciate you out there in the world for being present with me for just a few minutes and have a great day. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.